out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we like to play the finest in indie pop. This week, we're going to feature the Lime Spiders, because we always like an interview. Um, This is when I spoke to their main man, lead vocalist and general driving force behind this Australian punk rock group. Yes, the one and only Mick Blood. I know, that was a dramatic pause. So this is the interview. I hope you enjoy it. After a bit of chat, we got down to that exciting first kind of question. Those early musical influences. I know it's a classic. Anyway, this is it. It's over to you. Mick, take it away. Enjoy. Make notes. I will test you at the end just to make sure you're paying attention. That's a long story. When I've just written a book about this. Spent a few years writing a book about the band. Um, so it is actually... It's easier to answer those sort of questions now because because I've done a lot of writing about it all and um, thinking and you know research and so on and um, but in a nutshell, basically, um, I mean, I always had a song in my head as a kid growing up. I just loved music and um, it was in my literally in my blood. I mean, like you know, <laughs> um, which is yeah, contrary to. Popular belief is my real name, my, my <laughs> real surname. Great, yeah, you know, just happens to be a perfect name for a, a rock singer. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, it's um, both. All males in there's been a male trait in my family. Like it, all males in our family, my immediate family have been singers. My dad was a tenor, and both my older brothers were singers in bands. Um, so there's something in that. I mean, just genetically. I mean, um, and um, so I guess I was born with with the music in me, literally, like you know, like oozing out of every pore and um, all that, you know, chromosomes, right? Sort of music chromosomes. And um, as I grew up, I just gravitated towards, you know, I grew up in a, as a kid in the '60s, so. There was just so much bloody good music at, um, you know, um, on Top 40, the, the, just the average radio was you know, pouring out great songs, like, you know, um, Left, Right and Center. Like, you couldn't avoid it. It was brilliant, like, just growing up with that. And I guess that sort of nurtured my whole musical bent and getting into the 70s and um, in high school and, started collecting records and hanging out with friends who had great collections and picking up and just, you know, had good taste in rock and roll and music in general and learn a lot from them. And they just grew from there. Then, you know, got out of school. And um, my first year out of school was 77, the disco era, unfortunately. And, um, um, you know, like I had a pretty sheltered life in the burbs of Sydney in, in the, you know, Wyatt West way out the western suburbs of Sydney in a place called St Mary's where I grew up. Um, and um, I saw, um, cut a long story short, all I, was, all I was hearing, there was no live music much out our way um, where I grew up. There wasn't, sort of, certainly wasn't any venues to speak of um, in, in my town. And um, um, I started work, my first, Job and I uh, started got to know a guy that um, was a big fan of the, of Birdman. He used to keep talking about the birdies this and the birdies that. And, oh, um, the, that's the one. I eventually, I eventually, eventually got in. I um, talked him into. Um, I just asked him to take me along one night. I got curious. I said, "Oh, you know, like um, this sounds really cool. I'd like to check it out." You know, so we. This was, you know, 77, like, um, so it was really, uh, really at their peak then, like, um, and went to the front house in Taylor Square, a famous show, their own gig that day. Um, well, it was their show that, you know, 
they put it on and um, got nicely stoned in the car on the way in and um, just um, was it just a night that I'm going to forget it. Just a, just a, a real life saving, uh, life changing, life saving, nice so life saving, life changing moment that um, just stayed with me and then you know. Um, it just blew my mind completely. But anything about it, the atmosphere, the variety of people, you know, the energy of the music. Um, it was just, it was just for a young, um, kind of a young bloke like me with a, um, as I say, sheltered life in the burbs. Um, it was a real eye, you know. Yes. And I just thought, I kind of like subconsciously, I think, you know, it stuck in my head, and I just thought. I want to do that. I want to do that. You know, <laughs> like uh, I really want to do that. And um, lo and behold, I mean, six years later, um, we're recording our first single after winning a band comp. We recorded a, a single, like twenty fifth hour. The first single was half of Bird Memory involved. I mean, what was good, but the bass player was playing on it. He played on that. He was he was the bass player on that recording. And um, Rob was. Um, behind the controls. He was a producer, so quite an honour to, to have half of Birdman involved in my first recording after the story I just told you, like, you know. Yes, absolutely. Um, after, I... Yeah, after, after, them, after them being such a big influence and then, like, only a few years later having them involved in my own recording, you know, it was pretty damn cool. Yeah. Absolutely. I, it was, I just, you know, at the beginning when I couldn't remember, it was Radio Birdman, it was Dennis I did an interview with. So I knew there was another band. And um, yes, with age, you forget these things. But look, so then as, as the 80s progressed, because in the UK, you know, you had that post-punk period and then about 83, there was a kind of bit more of an indie sound. I mean, and, but there was a lot of unemployment during that period. So a lot of people just kind of went unemployed because there was not much else on. And, and, and you know, in a slightly simplistic way to, to talk about it, um, you know, they formed, a lot of people formed bands because it was like, OK, we can do this for a year or two while we claim the doll. So how was it in Australia at that time? Um, are you are you talking about the punk seventies, or are you talking about early eighties? Well, I suppose it's more the kind of that that you know the punk scene had sort of turned into what they now refer to as the post punk, where you had people like Pill and Magazine and Gang of Four and that kind of slightly yeah, it's kind of more of a scratchy sound before. Yeah, so there was a sort of a change, wasn't there, between the Sex Pistols and... You mean, and, a, more, and, you mean a more developed sound? Yes, the more developed sound of that a kind of late 70s and early 80s, which was, you know... <laughs> what, do you mean by a, what do you mean by a scratchy sound? <laughs> scratchy sound. Well, I suppose, in a way, when you listen to the Sex Pistols, you know, it's kind of a classic kind of three-minute two minute you know like tracks you know it's a bit like you know the stooges meets the monkeys but you know turned up and pretty amazing you know still a phenomenal band but then when you hear a lot of those other bands like well that's your that's your description that's my description i know, <laughs> oh. I know. i'll, I'll um, yeah. yes but yeah you know what i mean but there was a sort of a you know when you listen to sort of metal box by pill or magazine and gang of four there, there's something starts to sort of Get, you know, there's a little bit more experimentation going in there, isn't there? Well, it's more sophisticated, and um, it was the start of yeah, the use of samplers and more and technology and uh, within the sound. So, I mean, it wasn't my wasn't my bag, um, but I'm well aware that I mean, it, it sort of spawned bands like The Cure as well, and yeah, that kind of thing, which um, um, it was kind of like for me, it was neither one thing or the other. It was wasn't rock and roll, it wasn't pop, it was like synth driven well it was synth driven rubbish actually, in my opinion. I didn't this didn't grab me a lot of that stuff, you know. Yes, well um, absolutely. And I, I mean the, the the best the, the best thing the guitarist from magazine did was was, was join Pill, you know. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yes. So did it because I remember sort of talking to Farsetti from Motorhead and he said it took quite a few years for them to develop a sound which was going to make them any better than just a normal pub band. Because they were just about to break up and they thought, let's just do one more live gig, let's do one more record and see if anyone's interested. So suddenly they started to get that sound that we loved so much in, in well I did anyway, Motorhead. Um, did you, I mean, did it take a while for you to sound, a, you know, to get something that you thought, actually, this is more than just the normal pub band, that, you know, every band, every town has got one? Um, 
what, what do you mean? Like, well, do you well, mean I, without well, sound and yeah, oh, well, I suppose to it and so so with most bands, you know, they spend you know like like I've sort of found from doing this this show that most bands have a five year narrative. You know, they get together, they spend eighteen months, you know, taking drugs, drinking, making you know making you know, but only well, about. No, it wasn't- but but I suppose like only playing actually, to right. yeah I, I suppose in a way they were sort of just playing in front of their kind of friends and family and then in this country you know like they'd sort of do a single which was a bit quirky or a bit interesting a bit different I suppose and John Peel would play it. Well, you've got to be. I mean, you, you've got to when you're asking these questions and you've got to divorce yourself from the English scene and uh, so I can tell you about the Australian scene which is very different. You know. Yeah. Um, from what I gather, you know, like. Um, there's a lot of competition. Sydney was a where I grew up. Well, Sydney, where we formed, was um, a real hub of rock and roll in, and well, good music in general. A big variety of genres in Sydney, like everywhere you went, there's a big a lot of venues back then. And um, good old days when music um, was thriving, live music was thriving, and there was um, just there was actually a really great, really high standard of players and bands everywhere. Um, so you had to be good to get noticed. Like it was pretty competitive. So to win a band comp, um, we won a band comp out of 64 bands, a competition that had been running for four months, um, what, four bands every Sunday afternoon sort of thing in Surrey Hills in the, in like, um, in a, in a city. And we'd come from the birds and stole a march on that big time. And, you know, that was kind of our first real, real break, kind of uh, like um, we got noticed over that. And um, I mean, it didn't happen by accident because um, definitely, I definitely had a vision of um, a simple vision of the um, through my influences and uh, the 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 live stuff I'd seen before I formed the band. I knew, I knew pretty much exactly what I wanted to do, which was a simple formula of combining a lot of 60s pop psychedelic influences with a harder, more modern rock and roll sound, like, a, you know, with a bank of marshals and, um, you know, just a more solid, like, sex business type sound, like, um, which is pretty much what they did, you know, like, when you describe it as a mixture of the monkeys and Iggy Pop, like, I mean, it's, like, kind of like what we did, like, um bit of a hybrid of, of 60s pop influences, which I, um, you know, I'm always have, you know, it's always part of my music and um, with my songwriting and lyrics and so on, and like it's heavily influenced by 60s pop and like 60s pop psychedelia and then give it, married with a, uh, just a straight ahead, more straight ahead rock and roll sound, like, you know, not rocket science. I mean, the remains did the same, and like it became not what you want, but that's it, pretty much what it was. It was just a hybrid of sixties influences with a more, you know, amped up rock and roll sound. You know, like um, it's pretty much all it was. You know. <laughs> yes. So did I mean? Did... I mean a, lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people philosophize and bullshit. You know, carry on as you know, like. Um, postulating about this and that, but you know, end of the day, that description I just gave you is pretty much um, is it, simply all it was. You know, it was simply like um, marrying your sixties influences with a with a more powerful rock and roll sound. You know. Yes, absolutely. And you, you, be, but you captured it. You know, you, you know. I certainly, when John Peel, who always had that kind of ability to pick out a song, whether it's reggae, African music, Bulgarian folk, or 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 kind of more thrash rock, when he played Out of Control, it stood out, didn't it? You know, it's like, wow, this is good. I'm going to scribble this on a bit of paper and try and locate it, which in those days was difficult. So you definitely got the energy because there must have been other bands that you know John Peel probably listened to and thought, well, this isn't kind of cutting. Well, that, that certainly wasn't our only song either. I mean, like, you know. No. Um, so don't dwell, don't dwell on that because we did five albums after that. You know? <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. And with, with, uh, with any band, it's always kind of an interesting sort of journey. I mean, did it did it take you by surprise? I guess, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just sort of like, I guess, steering you away from Love Your Early Stuff kind of stuff. 
that sort of vibe, which I can't stand, you know, like I'd much prefer to talk about um, later music, we, you know, the more developer stuff we did, you know, with um, better production, etc. I mean, I'm honoured that people dig those early stuff, but I'm a bit sick of hearing it, you know, yes. sick well, of that... hearing about it, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's no, a big deal. John, John Beale picked it up. I mean, so a lot of other people, you know. Yes. Hello. <laughs> I know. Well, I guess, but, you know, being a... A sort of pasty kid in England, you know, we, you know, we didn't have that much access to like you do now. So, you know, it was just listen to the radio, listen, you know, recording, you know, the, you know, recording on your TDK D90 cassette. So when then? As, well, as, at least, at least, at least, at least there was probably good radio stations back then and, and, and enough good music to play in there. Yes. Now it's just like, you know, it's, 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 it's the whole music scene is different. Like, you know, I don't even, there's, there's no, radio stations worth listening to that I know of, you know. Yes, well, absolutely. So, look, if you then take it up, I mean, because with most bands and most people who I spoke to, I mean, there's a few people, I suppose, you know, like David Bowie and Lemmy, who's sort of just stuck in music. Most people have a go, find it sort of burns them quite badly and then sort of go and do something else and then come back to music. But you've, you've stuck with plan, plan A all the time, haven't you? You haven't sort of taken any... Um, rather, rather, like uh, four, four decades. Yes, I know. Which is... <laughs> we just did a tour in December, right? Um, which was actually technically our 40th anniversary tour because our first ever gig was in December '79. So it, it was actually 40 years, and my and um, we're proud of the fact it was my first my first ever band, by the way. Like just out of interest, like that's got to be some sort of record, I think. Right. Um, uh, uh, you know, your first ever band that lasts that long, you know, that's not, that's pretty rare. I, I don't think many bands last that long. No, well, no, God, I don't think many bands. Are... So I think I like to think, I like to think it's the longevity of the, um, of the songs, you know, that, um, you know, like if it, we haven't put out a bad record and, and there's a lot of songs that, a lot of our recordings that really grow on you. If, if, if there's, they're not like, um, it's not three chord rubbish. It's not like you know. It's it, the, the the songs are quite developed and um, good music. It's all the way to the bank, and um, it's not like um, we, you know people people throw around like these um, like definitions. People like to define things like you know, trash, punk, whatever. You know, like we just really insulting to a discerning musician, if you like, you know, like with a, a, a big um, hybrid of taste, you know, like good taste, just to be labelled. People like, just people want to put labels on things. Like, I don't know why people are just like that. Yes. What sort of music you play? Like, you know, but if you've got a choice of five genres, you know, rock, pop, soul, gospel, whatever, like, you know, like, what sort of music do you play? It's like, well, how long have you got, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to come to my place for the next couple of weeks and I'll give you, play some of my records, play my record collection, my wall of records, and you might get some idea of what, of what I'm into, you know? Yes, well, absolutely. No, it, it's it's all good. But so, so over the years, I mean, obviously the, there's been moments the band's sort of hit the pause button, then you've reformed again and then sort of hit the pause button again. So how well, do you... I mean, well, I mean, I've often caught hitting the pause button. It's been a case of um, breaking up for very good reasons and um, reluctantly most times. And, um, you know, like, a lot, like any brand that lasts a distance, you sort of, if you love it enough, you get back to it, you know, like... Um, so I'm just a sucker for punishment, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And how do you, I mean, you know, because, because you've, you've had a very sort of colourful career and it, and it hasn't slowed down at all, has it? I mean, the last decade is kind of filled with kind of... Well, I don't, yeah, the thing is like, um, the reason I'm writing the book is that, um, um, a lot of people, I mean, only I know the whole story. I mean, I started the band back then and, um, late 70s and form, yeah, come up with the name, etc. Like, and, you know, like, um, obviously know more about it than anybody because I've been involved in it all the way, you know, with every aspect of it. And um, 
you know, like um, there's not a lot of people out there that really know know much about it, like you know. So this is a good opportunity. Well, you know, a good good opportunity to sort of um, well, just enlighten people a little bit of the fact that we, you know, I see a far more established band than a lot of people realise. Like people getting back to the love your early stuff, like they know maybe one or two songs, like maybe you like slow girl sort of thing, you know, like which was our second single. I mean, like um, we went on to forge an international career, you know, like we signed a version, etc., toured Europe and America, and so a lot, I'm very proud of the fact that we weren't just an indie band, like you know. We actually were quite a major act, you know. Yes, well, absolutely, because you you did a quite an American tour with various other bands that some of the, I've even mentioned, and and also did, did you do, I, you know, I mean, because with with a lot of the, the, the British with a lot of British bands who you know they normally have that five year narrative. By the second album, things aren't going well, and mostly it's it's the second album they've grown to hate each other, and also they've often said if we ever t-, you know when they said they tore America and then they came back, and I know they're going to say they split up because they just that that finished them off. So how did you cope with that side of you know touring a place like America? Sorry, what what's the basic question there? So yeah, so the, so the so, so the, so the ba- basically it was more of, I suppose more of an observation of, of like most bands have a five year narrative, you know, where they they get to that f- the second album, possibly the third, and if they're um, and often it's a kind of a lack of money, they're kind of grown to hate each other. But the other thing is, if they've ever toured America, this is British bands, they they often, that's the end of the band. You know, they come back kind of emotionally done in. So how did you cope with sort of touring America? Because um, Well, luckily, luckily, we were signed to Virgin and they only wrote the tour. They, um, you know, as in they paid for it, basically. Like, um, so we did it in comparative luxury. We did it in a proper... Tour bus was incidentally was the tour bus we used was Motorhead's the tour bus the same tour bus that Motorhead used to use apparently um, so I made sure it was nicely fumigated before we got on it um, um, but yeah it was a proper tour bus with bunks in the middle and lounge either side and with you know we had a driver you know I was two months to make a two month tour we did like five weeks of our own shows and three weeks supporting pill we did thirteen shows with pill. Like um, living in America and two in Canada with Pill, you know. So that was, yeah, that was, it was a profile, profile tour, you know. Like, and it takes up, um, well, the, certainly the biggest, the biggest chapter of my book is <laughs> called America. It's about that tour, you know. It's, um, it was a massive story in itself. That tour, like, you know. <laughs> yes, and, my God. What was the highlight? What What was the key point of that? tour? Um, the chapter's um, about 8,500 8, words, so um, I, can't, I can't answer that question in 25 words or less. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There was, there, was, there, was some, there was some, a lot of, a lot of great highlights and, and some, well, one low light in particular, which was then last week of the tour, I got left, I got left behind by the tour bus. Um, just combination of circumstances, which I managed to describe in this chapter of the book. Um, it, it sounds unbelievable, but it actually happened um, where we played Minneapolis the previous night and then we were doing this long leg across to LA for the last, from Minneapolis to LA for the last, like two thirds of the way across America for the last two shows in LA and, um, oh, San Francisco and LA. We're actually on our way to San Francisco. Um, and we stopped in Nebraska the next morning on the Monday morning for, for, um, for just for breakfast and, um, Still in the clothes that I'd worn on stage, you know, the previous night, pinstripe, stovepipe trousers, etc., like a paisley shirt, and all, all very purple. <laughs> um, so yes, I hadn't, I hadn't even had time to get changed into a civvies kind of thing. And um, anyway, so wearing that gear, I got, I got left behind in the truck stop without. 
you know, won't go into the details. I got left behind by the bus, and that was in the days before mobiles and all that sort of thing. So I was stranded in Nebraska in the snow. <laughs> um, you know, a couple of days before a big show in San Francisco, <laughs> supporting two on the big theater, you know. <laughs> Um, so it took me a couple of days to get there on the Greyhound bus. Um, <laughs> and that did... wasn't a highlight. That was not a highlight. No. <laughs> I love about it now, but it took me a couple of decades to, you know, I, I, I think I dismissed it from my memory. It was really so traumatic. But um, it's a great story. <laughs> like, when I break it down, like, and managed to write about it, um, I remember it clearly and um, the agony and agony and ecstasy kind of thing. of like, um, you know, like it's very rock and roll, you know, <laughs> absolutely, you know, it defines rock and roll. I mean, how you can go from such crap to, you know, like absolute surreal stuff going on, like, and then have to perform in front of, you know, 6,000 people. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> A couple of hours after arriving in San Francisco, you know. My God, that was strange. <laughs> like, and did you did you insane. want to? And did you have issues with your band members for sort of not not not? Oh, man! Every band that's been around as long as we have, you know, everyone has, you know, personalities. Um, you know, it's it's part of the course. You know, personality differences and. You know, you spend a lot of time together. I mean, in general, we get along pretty well. But, I mean, and I've had the same guys with me for a long time. In, in fact, you know, the three albums, the three studio albums with really Virgin was the same lineup. So pretty much the same with, with another, another guitarist for the third album. But um, the core of the band was the same for the three albums. And we toured, um, did a lot of touring together. Um and occasionally sort of spoke to each other after that, but, you know, <laughs> and even played together at times. But, I mean, you know, like, it kind of, it's really hard. It's it's impossible, actually. It's, it's, it's no one can, there's no perfect marriage in rock and roll, right? You know, you, you hang out, you, 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 people you don't really know that well half the time, you know, and you get to know them, why are you in stressful situations? <laughs> like, you know, it's just not right. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, no, no, and uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of um, tension and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, I've had a lot of good times, but I've had a lot of bad times with um, just working with the wrong people and just not feeling really um, oh, comfortable and happy, you know, like, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's all part of it, you know, like um, you've got to have enough willpower or enough, you've really got to want to do it to, to do it as long as I've, I've done it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And do you, I mean... Well, you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to oh, and being partly insane helps, I think, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, David Bowie always worried about his, men, you know, this mental health he, he often talked about in his family. Did you also... Sort of, did you feel sometimes sort of um, your emotional state got pushed to the limits, or did you feel like you were already at those limits? Uh, no, no. I mean, um, you're. I mean, you know, I just gave you one example of top of my head about getting left behind by the tour bus in America. I mean, like that's an extreme example, but there's been lots of examples over the years of. Um, just grueling stuff, just really inhuman stuff I've had to deal with, you know, like, um, I can laugh about it now, but at the time it's not funny, you know, at all, you know, like putting up with bastards and, and, and their in-jokes and their bullshit. Yes. Too much when I should have probably, when I probably should have stopped them in their tracks and, and, and said what I wanted to say more often and been more open about, you know, well, you know, I don't actually like, I don't like this vibe, you know, like, um, you know, you guys have got to get more positive or something or, you know, like in retrospect, it's easy for me to, it's, everything's easy in hindsight, but, you know, like, um, it's like any relationship, um, 
really with other people, you know, men or women, so, you know. Um, everyone's personality is different and they're in close quarters in a pressure cooker in a band situation, so it really heightens that um, aspect of things. You know, it's, a lot of it's not real, you know, a lot of it's really quite surreal and, um, you you know, people cope with it in different ways, you know. Yeah, so just saying about the book, you know, being sort of quite... Yeah, no, I was just saying, just, I just, I just saying, like, in yeah, in response to that question, um, yeah, it's been absolutely um, therapeutic. You know, it's the only word I can use is to, um, I mean, you know, on several levels actually for me personally, because I was beaten within an inch. Of my, I was, I, I was, I was bashed within an inch of my life in mid two thousand and fourteen. Like I got attacked in a pub and. Um, Ended up in a coma for three days and um, suffered a brain injury from it. And um, it was a final low bleed that I had. And um, it did affect me for quite a while, you know, like um, just general living. Um, and writing the book was really therapeutic because it certainly helped um, my brain. Um, I mean, all those um just recalling things like um in detail of, you know chronologically and stuff which sounds written chronologically um really sort of um helped stimulate you know um probably parts of my brain what I hadn't been using too well or whatever and, and really just helped um you know recover from all that you know from that trauma and um so it was physically and mentally, um, yeah, just therapeutic, you know, like um, absolutely. Um, and I probably know more about my own band now than I ever did because <laughs> um, I had to do a bit of research because mem- now I was memory. Uh, um, yes. Oh, for instance, for, in- for instance, like, <laughs> like we toured um, Europe in in, well, to America in 87 and Europe in 88 um, and played the Roskilde Festival in 88. Um, but I had it the other way around. <laughs> like, when I first started writing it all, I, my my recollection was, was the other way around, that we played America in 87, you know, or 88, and Europe first, you know, like, so that was a big one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And did you, I mean, did you, I mean, because I know there's there's people like Jello Biafra who's often sort of attracted to kind of quite violent reactions for some various reasons. I mean, have you also sort of found yourself thinking, what, why me? You know, why do you, why do you, why do these things happen to yourself? Um, no, no, I, I, I don't blame myself at all, you know. Um, you know, I just think, I've shown a lot of resilience to a lot of resilience to actually get through it all, you know, and actually, you know, um, survive and, you know, it's the word, um, and continue making good music and, you know, go on to work with, um, different other music, you know, different musos and, you know, get on with it, you know, instead of uh, wallowing in self-pity, you know, that's not my bag. Yes, absolutely. So look, because there was a, there's a few people I've spoke to. I mean, I suppose they came from a, in bands who they tried to be a bit, I suppose they had a political edge to them in the sense of wanting to be a much more of a democratic unit. And then eventually thinking, look, this is my band. I've had enough of the Democrat. I've had enough of having to negotiate and put people's names on the writing credits. Well, that's, that's, where I'm at. That's, that's where I'm at these days. I mean, I was too diplomatic for too long, you know. Um, that's what I was touching on before. I was, I made too many allowances for bullshit, basically, you know, like, um, for people's attitudes and, and what I was doing, well, I was doing it to keep the boat afloat pretty much just to, um, you know, being diplomatic and not saying what I wanted to say and, um, kind of, um, when you're signed to a major label and you suddenly, yeah, and things take off pretty quickly like it did for us internationally, like, you know, you just want to sort of keep it all together and you sort of put up with a lot of crap, I guess. And um, I look back in retrospect, and all it did for me was um, erode my self-esteem. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
um, much happier these days with the guys I'm playing with these days and just none of that bullshit and uh, all very open and transparent and um, great players, etc. you know, like older and wiser. You know? Yes. And do you feel like a bit like, you know, like thinking, my God, I'm, I'm at this age playing rock and roll, but then looking at the blues guys and, and women and thinking, actually, age doesn't matter anymore. You know, it's about the music. and you know. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a great point, actually, because... Um, it's funny because look, going back to like I used to think like I had a use by date of forty. I think forty years was was my used to be my number. Like um, for some reason, I used to think yeah, and here I am doing it way past. I mean, my sixties now doing it right, and probably I know I'm singing better than ever and um, enjoying it more than ever and. You know, I mean, like, look, you know, another great example is those Cuban guys, you know, who were doing it in their 90s, you know, yeah. the Zodico guys down there, you know. So I just think as long as they still love it, um, as long as they really genuinely love it and not doing it for the sake of the, for the wrong reasons or something, if you're really passionate about it, you're still passionate about it, well, why not do it? You know, is this what you love most? It's, you know, that, that's... It's what that's still probably my biggest passion, and um, you know, I'm still got to put up a lot of, <laughs> still got to put up a lot of crap to, to, um, in some ways it's even worse these days. But you know, um, I'm a trooper. I've proved that. You know, yeah, <laughs> uh, I've earned my stripes, and um, you know, I've got enough respect out there that you know I can still draw crowds, and you know. I don't go on stage with an ordinary band, as simple as that, you know. I'll, I'll always have a shit-hot band. That, you know, that's guaranteed, you know. That's just... I set my standards a long time ago, you know, so never lowered the bar, you know. Yeah, and do you, but do you feel that looking, in, you know, when you were doing your book and obviously had a lot of uh, time on your own and certain solitude, do you feel like people would have been happier if you'd sort of died. You know, I, I mean that in the sense that sometimes it's almost like, oh, now we can all love the person now that they're dead. I remember, I think it was John Lennon wrote a song when he was doing his solo stuff saying, everyone loves you when you're six foot under. And I just wondered if you sort of thought, yeah, people would have loved that story of me, you know, the tragic kind of rock and roller dying. No, 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 I never thought that. No, that never crossed my mind. No, next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean, because, uh, yeah, but, but in the last... No, day, I don't know what you mean. I suppose... Well, not what I think. Well, you know, OK, but I suppose... You're I, from England. Don't forget, you're a pommy. Don't forget that. You know? I, I don't. I try not to. No, it's yeah. just sometimes it, it makes the narrative. Everyone loves to control the narrative, don't they? And the story of this and that. And it's a bit like, oh, you know, when someone dies... Well, you know, there's, there's enough... There's enough um, there's enough positive anecdotes and, and laughs, you know, like the truth is stranger than fiction. So this book is just like immensely readable, I've got to say. Like, you know, it's um, a great story, you know. I've, I've just, um, it's actually a really positive story about you know, success against the odds, you know, coming from humble beginnings and really, um, you know, carving out an international career, which I'm very proud of. And, um, so there was none of that negative negativity. It was actually all the way through it. It was really a po I was just staying positive um, and improving by the day as I was writing it. You know, so yeah. those sort of negative thoughts. Um, I kind of like banished um, that whole thing was in the back of my mind as I was writing it. Um, like, um, yeah, it was an awful thing to go through. It was a, it was a, it was absolutely traumatic and. Um, left me with some um, big emotional scars and so on. I just, writing the book was, um, I wanted to keep it positive for, I wanted, from a reader's perspective, that people don't want to, I don't, I actually don't agree with you about dramatising things too much. I think people want to read positive stories. I mean, especially now, now more than ever with this whole coronavirus thing, I mean, it's a it's a great time to sort of you know be be positive about things and be and and give out good vibes to people you know like yes um, well, absolutely but I I suppose also did you sort of find when you when you know you obviously had to sort of have a certain amount of truth so obviously there were there must have been or possibly some times when you look back and think oh actually I might 
did you ever sort of contact anybody during writing it to say, you know, I'm sorry, if, you know, just to sort of sort of say, look, I don't want to reconnect our friendship, but I'd just like to say I just had some a nice moment thinking about you, and I'm sorry our friendship sort of went to the went to the um, I don't know went badly. So yes, I just wondered if um, I wonder if you had any of those re- re- revelations. Um. I don't have any real regrets about, you know, um, I, 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 you're, yeah, you're trying to sort of come on from an angle here, some sort of emotional relationship angle, and I don't have that with ex-band members. It's like, work with, done a lot of work with them, and, um, you know, like, um, when I say I put up with a lot of crap for a lot of years, I did, and I don't, um, I don't miss that, you know. So I had no, <laughs> there was zero like um, reminiscing about, um, you know, getting in touch with them, and you know, like, these guys really couldn't give a fuck. You know, they're so selfish half of them. I couldn't be bothered, you know. It's just like I've moved on, you know. And like I've I formed the band. I've written a book about the band, you know was the main songwriter, et cetera, you know, they've been very much my band, you know, so, um, you know, I can take that away from me, you know? Yes, absolutely. And what would you, you know, what would you say to a an, an 18-year-old self that you, you just thought, God, if there was one thing that I could have whispered to myself when I was starting out, that would have been... Um, I would say, what my words of encouragement would be simply just believe in yourself, um, first and foremost, believe in, you, in your ability. Um, and you're going to have that self-belief to put up with the rubbish, you know, and and other people's attitudes and stuff. But you've got to have a, 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 a certain amount of healthy arrogance in a way, like, um, to really, um, or self-belief, to really push through those barriers, like, you know, those those emotional, mental barriers and things that people can put up, you know, those roadblocks and things. That people can put up, you know, and that's that's the hardest thing I think when you're starting out is to not listen to um, negative bullshit and just um, believe in yourself and get out there and do it, you know, like, and even if it's on your own, acoustically or, you know, solo or whatever, like, um, you know, lots of inspirational stories of people who weren't that talented, actually, like, um, but, you know, um, managed to forge a, you know, a, a big, a big name for themselves out of true spirit and, you know, yes. um, having the, having the balls, having the guts to do it, you know, just, you know, forget, you know, like fear shouldn't come into it. You just got to get out there on stage and enjoy yourself and, and entertain people, you know, it's called entertainment at the end of the day, you know, it's the word for it, you know. Yes. A lot of people, a lot of, a lot of shoegazing and sort of, um, a lot of, oh, there's a lot of self-indulgent bands over the years I'm, and I do, you know, um, I'm referring to a lot of English bands who I'm sure, you know, sort of, I'm talking about that self-indulgent shoegazers who weren't entertaining acts and the music was often not that good anyway. Like, um, you know, so I don't know, like my, my attitude's always been, because my pop ethic has always been to entertain, like give people what they want, um, give them music, give them a night out that they're not going to forget. Like, you know, like, um, with with a great set of songs and um, with a great band and and um, you know so they walk away um, and it's not disposable like they 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 maybe never heard anything like before you know like I mean that's the ambition I live with you know like it's um, it's the it's that it's like that. Um, case of um, not want, never wanting to be just another band, like wanting to be a band that people will remember when they see it. You know, even if only see it once, they're not going to forget it, you know, and that's 
we've got that legacy, you know, like we've got, we've got a good reputation of our, as a live act and um, they record speak for themselves, you know, like our recordings. You know? Yes. I mean, and we've just got a new album about to come out. Oh, fantastic. A new, a new album about to be released. And, and just... Oh, previous... Yeah, and what's yeah. your what's your current lineup? Because it's kind of it's um, I know that recently you've had um, yes, I mean, you had a bit of a classic lineup with with uh, Tony, Dave, and Gerard. So what? Who is it now? Um, oh, nobody you'd know, but um, just um, some players I've got to know. Um, fantastic guitarist. Um. Ray Floyd Jones, his name, or Floyd's his name, basically, but um, he's actually even a bit older than me, and um, just a brilliant guitarist, you know, that's a really fantastic player, and um, that's coming from me, um, you know, I've played with a lot and seen a lot of great players, and um, he really is um, one out of the box, you know, he's, he's, he's just um, really given me another lease of life as far as, like, Playing with him is just so exciting. Like, um, it's just great to be that excited again after all these years, you know. Like, it's a real breath of fresh air, you know. Yes, absolutely. So this current lineup is a completely new, just you and the yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. then. So that's yeah. fine. I was just kind of trying to sort of uh, work out who that who who it was kind of now. So you've got yeah, the yeah. All, 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 the album's um, it's called LSD, as in Long Spotters. Um, D word, um, which escapes me at the moment, but it's um, a delirious or something. Delirium, that's right. Line spot of delirium. Um, and um, it's it's, well, it's 10 tracks on my lonely release. Of, um, I just picked the eyes out of um, best of these tracks I'd had hanging around for years. Like um, I had well over 20 to choose from. Um, just great songs that never made it to albums, like high quality demos that um, never saw a lot of day. And um, so it's all it's all previous unreleased stuff that's um, been given a real um, been put through some um, well a lot of attention to detail with um, getting a real you know sonically getting it. To a really much higher standard than it was originally. Like you know, yes. I mean, going from that tapes to like putting it through a good system that my friend's got. You know, like high end sort of sonic stuff. It's um, he's really, truly really been enhanced to say the least. You know, it sounds it sounds awesome. You know, we just got a test pressing back last week and. Um, Few glitches in the test pressing, so I've got to, you know, get that, get that sorted. That's yes. under that, and um, and yeah, you know, like nothing's ever easy. I mean, like of course, the test pressing is not going to be perfect, is it? You know, because it's rock and roll. Like, it's going to be fuck ups, you know. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yes, this is. True. And what about the book? Because the book sounds fascinating. So you must be kind of um, doubly excited with that. Well, the book's called, the book's called Limelight uh, for obvious reasons. Um, and, um, well, now that with this whole virus thing that we were, we were planning, I was planning to tour to support the album, like, um, that's coming out, will be released soon, but we can't do that now. There's, there's, there's no work out there. We can't, everything's shut down. So I'm now thinking, um, I just got a dog yesterday. <laughs> so I've got a beautiful, cute, um, new dog, you know, in my life. And, um, so I'm going to hunt it down and finally finish the book and um, probably uh, over, over winter, like give, give it six months, hopefully yeah, all this bullshit would have sorted itself out and I'll still be alive. And <laughs> um, then I can put out, I'll probably put out the album before then, like just online, make it available online. Um, and then the book released towards oh, before the end of the year, whether it, whether or not I get a publisher or self-publish it. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly um, most of it's written, and, and it's just I'm just getting it proofread, and um, most of it's been edited, and I'm just getting it proofread now. And um, 
kind of just fine-tuning what's there. Um, so I've got, you know, I'm thinking next couple of months over this awful time in um, where it all sort of, you know, forced into lockdown, um, well, uh, I'll get productive and, and get that, get it finished, you know. Yes. Well, look, this is, this is yeah, I mean, I suppose in a way we've all had to sort of suddenly think, oh, it's a bit different than what we expected. So um, I guess it's the time of doing all those projects and thinking, well, make something creative out of it. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the things you talked about, saving for a runny day, like well, <laughs> we're going to have um, yeah, a big uh, downturn, a downtime, a lot of downtime now for months. So yes. we're trying to actually you know, get positive about doing those things you've been thinking about and you know, having that time to do, you know, like... Um, even have you know, an instrument, write a book, you know, like um, get creative and, you know, form a band and do some rehearsing, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> yes. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, well, this, this has been fantastic. And um, I'm so pleased that, you know, you've come through the last couple of years and, and sort of, I guess it's like a bit of a, I know it's going to be a cliche, but, you know, turning the chapter and thinking, right, that's behind me and um, moving to the next phase. I, I guess it's a bit like when you look yeah, at Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just really, I'm just really proud that I've, um, I'm proud of myself that I've, you know, that I have survived it all and come out the other end um, on top and, you know, well enough to play live and, um, and yeah, play convincingly and, um, and write the book and, and, and um, never gave up on it, you know. So um, <laughs> I guess this um, says a lot about my <laughs> my um, resilience and perseverance, power of perseverance, you know. Yes, absolutely. Well, good. I'm pleased. It's great to speak to you at last. And uh, thank you for your time. And uh, yeah. and I'll I'll send you, a, you and I'll send you a link. And um, yes. And again, you know. Thanks a lot for all the music. Until this will be going on your show. Yes, on your show, show. Right? but, but I'll, right. s- I'll send you a link and then you can always, you know, put it on your whatever places you want to to uh, put it. So they, for your, your followers and fans. But look. Actually, you know, it'd be, it'd be great. It'd be great promotion. I'll just put it on our, on our page and, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Okay, well, look, have a great evening and uh, take care of yourself. and uh, keep Yeah, going. thanks. Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been good to talk. And, uh, yeah, just stay safe, matey. We'll get through it. It'll be better by the end of the day. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you, mate.